back with Theology coming to you once again. Hope you're having a good day today. Another chilly day here, Maine winter, um, but uh, nice and warm inside as we are. We've got our coffee, got our hot chocolate here uh, around the microphones. We've got our Bibles open in front of us. Hope that you've had a good day thus far, and we're hoping to add to that with our discussion. And we thank you so much for joining us, and we're grateful for uh, the audience that we're gaining. I mean, they're just, uh, audiences just flocking in, and I'm saying that facetiously, obviously. No, I mean, like, there's birds. (laughs) The birds are just cheap, cheap, cheap. Yeah, I did go out to the chicken coop this morning, so yes, absolutely. But, um, you know, we are doing this, we hope to be a help to others, but I, I can say that this is really being a help to me. And I'm thankful for uh, just the privilege it is to be able to do this with my friends, but also to further the cause of Christ. Uh, Our last episode, we talked about essentials. We used the word essential and those doctrines which are essential that we must be unmovable, as Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians, we must be unmovable on these things that these are doctrines which are essential to our faith. Uh, We did not make an exhaustive list by any means, and we knew that going into it. And certainly this follow-up podcast will certainly not be exhaustive either, but we thought it would be good to do the other bookend as well. And that is the, what have we made as essential? Specifically, what have we made that is essential that... Um, really should not be in that category. I don't want to necessarily use the term non-essential, because when I think of non-essential, I think of the last two years here where, okay, with COVID, we only need, you know, where uh, I was defined as a non-essential worker. Mm-hmm. And I didn't much like that. I felt that, okay, I'm putting food on the table for my family. I'm essential. And so I don't want to label it as, what I'm saying is, is that we have elevated conviction or we've elevated personal belief to doctrine, to doctrine level. And uh, in Mark 7, um, the Lord Jesus, this, this is just the premise of what I'm saying. He, he is speaking to the Pharisees and he says, uh, Mark 7, 7, Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. So the commandments of men have become the doctrine of God. And are there things that we major in, uh, in our Christian faith, that we really perhaps should minor in? So I'll just open it up to you guys. I've kind of set the stage and and... Uh, everyone's pointing at Josh, so it looks like uh, Josh is going to go first. When you say everyone's pointing at Josh, there's three of us in the room, and I wasn't <laughs> pointing at myself, so I'm trying to figure out who everyone was, but that's okay. We wanted to me. feel like there's a huge studio audience. This oh, is true. Man, you're yeah. right. Our studio yeah. audience is studio audience watching of crickets. As we buy you time to so come up with an answer. You said, you said verse 7. Howbeit in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines and commandments of men. Then in verse 8, for laying aside the commandment of God. So before we make doctrines of men, making doctrines the commandments of men, someone had to lay aside 
for laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold the tradition of men. And then it goes on to give you some examples. Christ says, as the washing of pots and cups and many other such like things ye do. So before a person is going to take a, and I don't want to use the word non-essential, but I'm going to say it simply because we called it essential in the last episode. So when somebody takes a tradition, a a non-essential, and makes it essential, makes it doctrine, well, what did they have to do first? Well, here he says the laying aside of the commandment of God. So you had to take away, yet you had to, well, Scripture doesn't entirely say, well, what does Scripture then entirely say? Let's make the, the emphatic Scripture. Man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God, not out of the mouth of Josh Lovelace. I am told to preach the word. I'm not told to preach a sermon. I'm not told to preach an illustration. So my conviction, and we as Baptists believe in individual soul liberty. So I believe that, you know, Chad has individual soul liberty, that James has individual soul liberty, that you have a personal walk with the Lord. Do we not say that with our own church members? They have their personal walk It's my job as a pastor to present to these people that God has placed under uh, the shepherding of the pastor. It's my job to give them the truth of Scripture. What they choose to do with it is on them. It's my job to just give them the truth. Brother Wiley, you've said several times when you feed your, there's a difference between feeding your children and making your children eat. You know, I can feed my children but I'm not spoon feeding them. It's up to them to grab the food and put it into their mouth. I'm just giving them the food. If I start making the tradition of man, the doctrines of God, but am I trying to make them eat? You don't, you get what I'm trying to say? Sure. Am am I, am I uh, uh, taking, well, this is what I believe, you know, a Christian should do. Well, I'm glad this is what I believe a Christian should do, but what does the Bible say a Christian should do? If that makes sense. I'm not going to make a an essential something that Scripture doesn't make essential, but I'm also not going to um, side rail those things because those things can come. You know, It's not a good idea to, uh, all right, you're not going to find a Scripture verse that says, thou shalt not smoke a cigarette. I don't believe a Christian should smoke a cigarette. All right, that's just what I'm going to say, but I'm not going to find a scripture to back that up, a, a verse that says in that way. Well, our body's a temple; we got to be good stewards. Well, then why are we eating Doritos? You, you see my point? Yes. And so it's that kind of for me, where um, I think we should go in this understanding of what is a tradition of man, but we have to make sure that's not taking the place of the commandment of God. So. I'm just going to leave it at that and see if somebody else... No one's pointing now. Everybody was pointing at me. Would we be ready to give some examples of what we mean okay, by that's, that? Yeah. You know, do you I, want to do that? You know, what I think of uh, music standards. I think of dress standards. I think of, you know, uh, men with... Should, should or should they not have facial hair? Should... What's the length of a man's hair? What is long? Um, I grew up in a church, for instance, that there were those in the church that just had a hyper view of gambling. Mm. If you go to the local fair, you get 
three throws for a dollar. That's gambling. You cannot do that. That's the sin of gambling. Um, you know, just things that just become tradition. You know, a man's, you know, pastor has no business, you know, I've got my black back 1611. You can't have a cover on your Bible that's not black or things like that, that we turn into. My father was told he couldn't be a good pastor unless it was a Schofield. You cannot preach. That's not the word of God unless it's Schofield. There's just so many things that we can yeah. get into. That's and, right. Can and... I ask a question? Yeah. Because you used, I was wondering, you used the word standard. That's like our go-to word for expressing. But do you think that in concept, a standard, as we would use the term today, is is the same as tradition? Like in concept, the word tradition, traditions of men, is the same as our modern equivalent of, of standards? Well, what I think you're meaning by that is, you know, our church has standards mm -hmm. that I can't necessarily go to the scriptures and say, okay, here is the, for instance, you know, uh, to sing in our choir, we ask the men to wear a tie. You know, they at least they don't have to wear a suit, but they have to wear a tie. Uh, we ask that our ladies, if they sing in the choir, wear a dress or a skirt. And that's a standard that our church has uh, but that developed. is not okay. But that's different than. That would be an but that's not a standard of holiness. Like, is it? A, it's not a standard of personal holiness. It is it's a just, standard of institutional practice. That's right. right. Okay. You've got to have standards to function as a church. Sure. Which, um, but to elevate those to this is a sign of godliness, or this is what is essential in your Christian faith. There are those, even in our Baptist circles, that take some of the things that we've mentioned, and it is Bible truth. And for decades, they've just pounded it from the pulpit that this is Bible truth. And I think people today are rebelling against that because they're finally waking up and saying, okay, there's no biblical basis for this. For that. And, you're, yeah. and you're calling it Bible truth. Right. right. So Jesus in Mark 7, he's, he's cutting you know, to the heart of those traditions of men which have been lifted up as, as uh, measurable standards of godliness. And when we think about, I was looking, as you were working through the passage, I was thinking, you know, there's two clear points of origin. Commandments of God come from God. God. Traditions of men come from men, 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 right? The point of origin. Because Paul speaks of traditions, he tells Timothy to keep the traditions that were given to him, but those traditions, clearly their point of origin is, well, they, they came from God. Yeah. It, I was thinking about this. This is something that my, Amanda and I, we, we had to learn as we were raising our children, is that when we gave, um, when we laid down rules in our home, there, some of those rules were commandments of God, right? Thou shalt not murder thy brother. That's a clear commandment of God. The fact that you had to make that a rule in your sure. home. No, it's, it, that's just an Should example. Should my children hang that's around your That's an example, children? all right? <laughs> okay, but there's some things but you're that, right. yeah. as, a, as a home, we do this because this is clearly something that God has laid of out course. for as a commandment. Of course. There are also things that are principles, right? Okay, okay. So my kids don't smoke. Number one, because they're not of age to make that decision. But number two, because even if they were of age... Because their body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, the principle of stewardship says 
you know, they're going to come to a conclusion, I'm not going to smoke because that's poor stewardship of my body. My body. The same principle would lead them to think about what they eat. Agreed. Okay. Agreed. And, and we all know, we can all point to examples where, where people have hammered away at, at easy things like smoking, meanwhile, ignoring, you know, potluck supper. But you got to love that KFC. Right. Okay. But that's a principle. Mm-hmm. And then you get to, <clears throat> excuse me, you get to preferences. Okay. So within our home, here are preferences that mom and dad have that while you're in our home, you're going to abide by this preference that we have. Uh, for example, um, we strive for quiet time in the morning, right? As best you can with a bunch of boys, quiet time in the morning. And then after supper, um, my preference is that things wind down. We don't get all ramped up and, hmm. and wired for sound in the evening. That's a preference. So if we can correctly, I mean, in our home, we categorize, these are God's clear commands, these are principles based on God's word, here's family preferences. I think in in our churches, it functions much the same way. You lay out, here's a clear command of God, here's a principle of God and how you might apply it, and here's a preference, an institutional preference that we observe. The problem is is, is that what Jesus is getting at is that we're dragging, when you drag your institutional preference into the command of God category. Yeah. Or even try to, you even try to uh, rest the scriptures, you abuse the context, ignore the context, and just take a scripture, and you say, well, here's a principle, and because of this, I'm going to misapply it, I'm going to make my preference based upon a principle that doesn't yeah. even connect or apply. That's right. That's what, that is what, where non-essential, where a non-essential, where something that is a non-essential becomes of doctrinal is tied to doctrine. Hmm. That's, that's, is that where you're at? I believe so, yes. Okay. I think that... That's what we we'll be careful well. of. Right. Yeah. Because what's... <clears throat> you know, there. what's good for me not may not necessarily be what's good for sure. the church. And as a, as a pastor, I'm making decisions upon what we do. You know, I may personally, my family may personally listen to a certain kind of music, which may not be good for everyone. Right. Um, in the church. I'll just use an example. My my family and I, we really like bluegrass instrumental music. Well, um, that I believe is, is fine for us to listen to uh, personally, but uh, I know that there's some folks in the church that might stumble mm-hmm. over that. Yeah. And so uh, because of that, I say, okay, that's like you said, a preference for me that... Uh, but it's not standard for the church. You know, we can't go by the what's good for the goose is good for the gander. If it's mm-hmm. okay for me to do at home, then That's well, right. I wear my pajamas at home. Can I dig at this? Uh, sure. So, so you're you're in practice. There's music that you enjoy as a family at home that you and leading the church don't in, bring that style of music into the church in terms of worship, right? Correct. Right. And so you can you can hold in tension the reality that there's music that is great for home, that's not great for church, and and still not be in sin. And isn't that like the core of liberty itself? Can I that, dig a little deeper? Yeah, go ahead. Or I dig. say dig deeper, but go expound more. Yep. You mentioned music that was good for his home and not good for the church. Now, when you say the church, you're not referring to every 
Church. You're referring, referring to my to local body. The local body, right. the pastor, the, the the assembly that James Wiley is pastoring. Right. It's this, you know, so that opens the door then that this body that James Wiley pastors might have a different preference mm-hmm. than this body that Chad Colburn pastors. Sure. You know what I mean? And we both have a responsibility to not set at not one another. That's right. Because on an area that's preference, we arrive at different places. That's right. Right. And if Brother Chad invites me, we've dealt with this as well, that if Brother Chad invites me to come preach, it's not my responsibility to write whatever I think is wrong with his... That's right. He has a different preference than I do. Um where autonomy right i honor the fact that uh my invitation to come speak here does not come with they must abide by what i think is right or acceptable well and and isn't this like when you think about the the this very issue um when someone first comes to your church as a guest speaker right first time they're coming on, whether it's a Wednesday or a Sunday. What is one of the first questions that they ask you? What is it? What's the attire? What's the attire? <laughs> do you, I was going to say, what's the what attire? Is the attire? My next question was going to be what time, right. but what's the attire? Yeah. yeah, what's the attire, right? And and it's such a sensitive issue. I remember when, when you had the, the creation weekend seminar, okay? <laughs> okay. I know where you're going with this. True this story. Is... <laughs> okay, I'm thinking to myself, okay, well... It's not a Sunday, so it's probably casual attire. And so uh, I have on my casual tie, my my weekend cash. Subjective. Which is subjective, right? I walk in the door and all of my good friends in the ministry are coats and ties, (laughs) right? And I'm like, I didn't get the memo for this. I didn't know. And, And here's the reality. We had a good time and laughed about it. But I'm confident that nobody went home and thought, boy, what a bum that Colburn is mm. roaring in here. He's so liberal, you know, not wearing it. it. There has to be liberty. That's right. In the traditions of men. So, yeah. Well, what happens when we make the traditions of men the commandments of God? Jesus says it, does he not? In verse 13, making the word of God of what? None effect. Yeah. Through your tradition. which ye have delivered, and many such like things do ye. So when this starts to happen, when you go to uh, Chad's church and try to right his ship because he's so bad on his whatever preference, what are we doing then to the Word of God? We're making it of none effect. Right. Right. Is there a significant time? Now, again, we're all young men uh, here. Is, Is there a significant time where... Many of these traditions, you know, I, 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 you know, I'm the oldest among us here. So I grew up in the seventies, you know, eighties is when I grew up. And I, I just remember that was the era of where you were just hearing much more than today. It's not like it is today, but you were just hearing so much more the length of a man's hair, how long his sideburns were. They could not be more than halfway down his ear. Um, Very against men having any kind of facial hair. Um, Very big, you know, they'd be preaching on Mother's Day and they'd bring up the fact that mom didn't go to the movies. And and, uh, it just seemed like I, I grew up in that era, which was just so prevalent of just behavioral based 
everything was behavioral based. Instead of uh, preaching the righteousness of God, you know, I believe when we preach righteousness, unrighteousness is obvious. Mm-hmm. Just like Isaiah 6, when Isaiah was brought into the presence of God, his own unrighteousness became very evident mm-hmm. to him. Mm-hmm. It seemed like we went through an era where just unrighteousness is just all that was preached. highlighted yeah, instead sure. of righteousness being highlighted. Well, in particular, unrighteousness that... is right. behavioral, like you said, the easily, like the stuff you could see mm-hmm. that you decided was wrong. Was wrong. That, that was the thing that you were going to, your hobby horse, if you will. And this is just simply my observation. Do you think a lot of this came from the, what you would call the reaction to society? You know, when music changed in the 50s, you know, you, I, I've seen the movie, the video clips of pastors when Elvis became prevalent and they're the beat, the beat, the beat, you know, mm-hmm. and you see these pastors reacting to society. And then we have the uh, Woodstock era, the the 60s and 70s, and then you have the reaction, okay, we need to respond to this as a local church. We need to react to this. And that's where the length of hair and the wire rim glasses and the reacting to what society was doing. Have you all studied that at all? I can't say that I've studied it that much. This is just simply observation from my part. Well, here's my theory. Daniel says that that knowledge shall increase, right, at, at the time of the end. And we were, we were kind of discussing this before. That's, it's a good setup. But you think about, you know, the 20th century, you had uh, World War I, which was industrialized warfare that men had never seen before. And then you follow it with the Great Depression. You follow it with, and, and really at this time, if you, if you, and I have studied, if you study the sentiment, you know, what did people believe about the time that they lived in? And as you come to the end of the 20th century, people, end of the, yeah, the 19th century, people are believing this myth of progress that science and technology is going to bring in a better age and the utopia. that utopia will mm-hmm. come. And, and where is utopia coming? It's com- coming from man's intellect, right. man's design, man's innovation. So then World War I co- comes, right? And people see their, their friends and brothers dying in ways that they've never imagined before. Uh, the Great Depression comes. And then what follows? Well, you've got World War II, the Korean War, Vietnam, conflicts and, and wars all over the place. Okay, so things are happening very, very fast. Along with that, knowledge increasing, there is probably the 60s, maybe that's where we kind of look at as the beginning of the moral revolution, that's what I've heard it called. And I I do wonder, and I am sympathetic to the fact that believers in that day, when there's so much going on, and there's just a rebellion against against long-held tradition and values, that to kind of set up those traditions as markers, you know, of, of righteousness, you know, here's, here's our a standard is what? It's a flag. It's mm-hmm. a banner. So to raise a standard of this is who we are, and you know who we are by how we walk, talk, dress, where we go, where we don't go, you know, that would be a very... I would be tempted at that time, I'm sure, to 
to go to those places and build my walls there. Of course. Right? Build your walls outside and then focus on the inside. Mm-hmm. And and so, you know, we don't want to be overly I don't want to be critical of a generation previous who was responding to things the best they knew how. But I do think that we have come to a place now where we start to see that didn't really work. It didn't really make people more godly. I mean, it's it is okay. The law is profitable if it's used lawfully. And the law is not for the righteous man, but for the unrighteous. And so getting people to conform to a, a, a self-imposed standard of righteousness, I don't know that it made people more godly because fundamentally when you're saved, the new birth changes you from the inside out. And we can, like, the reality is that we should rest in God's promise that his word will be of effect. That's right. And that his word preached, um, preached right, the right, right word, rightly divided, rightly understood, will bring about the right changes. And the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 3.11 that he hath made all things beautiful in his time. And that's people too. Um, so I, to, that's the long answer. But I think, I think, yeah, it's definitely a response to changing times. And can we not say that in our day, and again, not trying to be hypercritical of, you know, it's very easy to Monday morning quarterback. Yeah. Uh, not it's, to be hypercritical of those before us. We can say the three of us in our day have had to make stands on things which who would have thought it was it was about five five seven years ago or so when there was great pressure on our churches as to who you were going to marry are you going to marry two men are you going to and there was pressure just just a very few years ago as to are we going to have to make a stand as a church, I mean, whoever thought of that right, 20 right, years yeah, ago? Right, right. Just recently, uh, we've had to deal in our church with, okay, who's going to use the ladies' bathroom? I mean, whoever thought of that? Right. I mean, so th- I-, I can imagine our brethren from the 60s and 70s having to deal, whoever thought right. of free love, right. that it was just going to be like it was. So right. again, trying to be sympathetic. But I agree to you, agree with you that, you know, a reactive approach doesn't, uh, isn't always, or an emotional, or a, I'm pressured to make a decision, I need to make one, isn't the best time to do that. But I think now we can start to look at these things and say, okay, if we're going to do, you know, there's the cry of someone do something, someone do something, and no one thinks, okay, are we doing the right thing? Right. Are we throwing gas on the fire or water? <laughs> right. You know, trying to put it you out. You know, we're we're living in a day even more so now where people are questioning the word of God in every manner. Mm-hmm. So if we are going to do something, then we need to believe that there is a biblical basis to it. Absolutely. So let's, we could get, I mean, we could, we could go to that place of, hey, what's the stupid thing that you taught as essential than you realized it wasn't? Do we want to avoid oh, that boy. fun place? Or <laughs> <laughs> We'd rather sit here and criticize others. Yeah. That's right. We okay. certainly don't want yep. to criticize right. ourselves. All right, let's go to our, uh, let's go to commercial break and we'll come back. <laughs> our sponsor this half hour. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Is Toys R Us. No. Yes. Which, 
I don't know. I think there were things that, that, that maybe, um, that because they were unsettled in my heart and unsettled in my mind, um, I would have a hard time saying anything either for or against it. I think that, you know what I mean? Like, mm. you know, cause you do get asked on a lot of the superficial things. Why do you, we'll just use the example of a tie. I mean, I don't want to, I've never, I don't know that I've even actually expressed this to you two in particular, but there are some, there's many a Sunday where I don't, I don't wear a tie. Some I do, some I don't. And all right, uh, let's bring this program yep, to an go end. go ahead and wrap it uh, up. That's yep. it for backwards theology. <laughs> now, yeah, now it's like backwards theology. <laughs> yeah, I heard, uh, I heard backwards. Sure, <laughs> I heard backwards. That's right. And I, I neither wear one or do not wear one by conviction. Um, because I don't think that it's something I just personally, because we have liberty in these issues. Now, I'll say this, that if if I was ever, if I'll ever get asked to come preach at Churchill Baptist Church, I respect the traditions, the institutional traditions of Truth. wherever I'm going. So if I know that it's a coat and a tie, then I'm going to wear a coat and a tie. And I am not going to ever, I don't want to undermine you know, the institutional standards of that local body. I'm going to respect mm -hmm. that. Just like when you go to someone's home, when you go to someone's home, you respect their home. Right. So I would respect those, those practices. And, um, but we tell it, our folks, don't we, you need to dress up mm -hmm. when you come to church. Mm -hmm. Well, based upon what a lot of our people do for a living, sure. Putting on a nice, clean, button-down shirt and yeah. a clean pair of blue jeans. Someone putting on just a clean shirt, period, you're I dressed mean, up. <laughs> we pastor fishermen, lobstermen, right. mm -hmm. men who work in the woods. I know I personally, when I don't pastor, I'm in the woods, yeah. and I'm wearing, you know, filthy blue jeans. And, and so uh, I think we need to be clear in what... We say when we say, "Well, you need to dress up when you come to church." Well, for me, this is dressing up. Sure. This is. Uh, I have a man in our church that I don't believe he owns a suit. Mm -hmm. I don't believe he owns one. And um, you talk with other men in our church, and they'll. I, I was talking with a man in our church, and his son told me he said the only time I've ever seen my dad in a suit is a picture of the day he married my mom. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, right. uh, what do you do with folks like that? They, but they must be not be godly if sure. they're not wearing a, a suit. And I have, um, with I don't want to get um, too detailed, but I do have a, a man in our in my church that probably the biggest servant's heart I've ever met in any man. But he doesn't own a tie, and I have one picture of him in a tie, and it was at a wedding. And I took a picture with him just so I can have evidence that he wore a tie. And he calls him a noose, is what he calls him. Mm. So, which, you know, whatever. But he has taught me more of a godly example of what being a servant, of what being a, a um, Malchiah is. A Malchiah is guy in Nehemiah 3 who was a servant who just did his job and he taught me and has shown and still showing me that first Wednesday I'd ever been to Truth Baptist Church it was in June of 2009 I am four years post Bible college and 
first time ever. I wasn't, quote unquote, the pastor of the church yet. I was interim. I was just filling in. And first Wednesday, walked through the door. I had a suit on. And he looked right at me and said, if you wear a suit on a Wednesday night, I don't think I'm going to be able to come here anymore. And of course, I'm thinking, this guy is so sinful. You know, how dare he think like that? You're supposed to dress up for church. And <laughs> I haven't worn a suit on Wednesday night since. <laughs> and um, matter of fact, you know, you mentioned I don't, I don't wear a tie on Wednesday nights. Again, if that breaks fellowship with anybody around this table, I'm sorry. But I don't wear a tie on Wednesday nights. Um, I'm very casual. But learning from this man, I've learned that it's not in always his attire. Is he dressed nicer when he comes to church than when he's at his work or whatever? Of course he does. But his attire, his, his nice dress is sometimes a nice flannel buffalo plaid shirt with a pair of pants, got his yellow bean boots on. He's just happy to be at church. And that's what I'd rather have than the superficial, I put my suit on, but I'm going to stab you in the back as you turn around and walk away. This the guy is genuine. This guy is sincere. This guy is, you know what I mean? Sure. And, and I'm learning that even from him, um, that valuable truth that is not always in the outward appearance. Yeah. So, well, I mean, Paul said, I am become all things to all men that I might by all means save some, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, to be clear, I want to make sure, because again, I, I'm trying to think of that the fourth chair, that any person who's sitting at the table hearing us talk about these things, I am not, it, it for me, it has nothing to do with, you know, liberal or conservative. I agree to that. But it is, yeah. I'll, I'll, my wife, you know, she makes sure that, that everything's, um, steamed, pressed, you know, if there's a suit coat or a sports coat with a nice shirt, nice pants, nice shoes. But I do know that if I were to, let's just say I went to, you know, someone said, hey, I want to take you out and really want to dress you up, get you look sharp, okay? And and I had a high-end suit with a super nice paisley tie and a cuff-linked shirt and, and shoes that were so shiny you could... Do your you you could do your makeup in them, Lovelace. You know something like that. I'm glad. Okay, if I appreciate that. <laughs> would that be you know Would that in 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 our where God has called us to serve? Would that mm. be a help or a hindrance? It would probably be a hindrance. Mm. Just like if I went to the Philippines, or I went to a Baptist you know, independent Baptist church in 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 Africa. You know I'm gonna I'm gonna adhere to the standard. That is, that lends itself toward preaching the word of God, living a Christ-like holy life where they are. So with this, yep. what you just said, so you're saying that preferences, these, what we, you just said the word standard, what these, these would be situational, locational based. So in other words, if I'm in West Virginia, mm-hmm. if I'm in Florida, mm-hmm. Some of these might not be the same. Yeah, absolutely. So right, and you're trying to just at the end of the day. Which, by the way, for the well, listener, I do not wear it, makeup. Yeah. I just want the listener to know that of of the Lord Jesus Christ, it says that that it, of Him there was no form nor comeliness that we should we what? should desire him. desire Him. Saul was a head and shoulders 
head and shoulders taller. And, and remember when Samuel looks at Eliab, he looks at Eliab and thinks, man, that Surely guy the Lord's anointed has got to be the king. Um, but the Lord said, what? Look not on the height of his stature, um, nor, what was the other thing? The height of his stature, nor his, his countenance, Something. right? His countenance, nor the height of his stature. Yeah, there you go. Countenance, nor the height of his stature. So don't look on those things. Because we've already been now, through this once with Saul. Right. That's right. <laughs> right. They now, picked the best looking guy and they the think, tallest guy. Can, I, him. can I go farther with that though? I mean, can't, can. can't that be flipped around? Because I've seen that verse used, what does it matter then what I look like? Sure, and that's not what it's Man teaching, looks on though. the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. Right. So as long as my heart's right, I don't But David cares. wasn't a slob. Exactly. That's, right? that's the point I'm going to, <laughs> is that we also need to be careful. Don't, you can't flip that the, op- right. the opposite way. Right. So. so what is right to do? What I, um, you know, what we, what we try to, because I, I do believe as a church, you try to set a standard because Wherever you set your standards, at best, your people are going to meet it. They're usually not going to, you know, so if you set your standards so low, well, just make sure you have clothes on. Sure. When you, you know, Um, so I I can say, and you can shoot holes in it if you wish, in 20 years here at Churchill Baptist, I've never preached, I've never once preached that women cannot wear pants. Mm -hmm. Uh, I do not, I don't believe that's the biblical, although... My family has the personal conviction. My wife and my daughters only wear pants. Only wear pants. Excuse me. <laughs> don't wear pants. Yeah. I, I don't even know if my daughters even own a pair of pants. Um, even though we have that personal conviction, I don't believe that that is right. You don't believe it's doctrine to impose it to impose it onto the church. Right. But at the same time, we do aspire to. A standard that we do want to set. It's not required. We have women that wear pants to our services. Um, we have men who don't wear shirt and tie. I mean, there's not a dress code that people need to, but we do aspire to what I call excellence. Mm-hmm. I believe dress first, and it's, you know, we talked about biblical principle versus preference. Dress needs to be modest modestly attired. And by the way, when I talk about modest dress within the church, unfortunately, historically, it's been the women who have been ganged up on. I believe men can dress just as immodestly uh, as women. Men either wear that which is too tight or too big. Um, but that's because of culture, right? Right. Because culture has tried to destroy mm-hmm. the it's devil. Either clothes that are too tight, yep. or hey, have you heard of a belt? It actually <laughs> holds your pants up. Sure. Uh, so I believe dress ought to be modest. I do believe I do believe that dress should be excellent. That there's an excellence to it. And again, like we've said, excellence for some is a their nicest button-down shirt. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not saying people have to go out and buy a suit. But I do see that, you know, there were particular particular garments that the high priest wore before he went into the presence of the Lord. And so I, I do think that there is excellence in if I'm going to wear something, it should look nice. I should wear nice things to church. I, I shouldn't look the same. I believe there should be a difference. Um between the way I look when I go to Burger King 
and when I go to church. So there should be a distinction in our attire. Again, where the level of that is, that's where I think the liberty comes to different individuals. But mm. there's so much distinction in the scriptures, and I do believe clothing is part of it, that there is distinction that we have. Um, I do believe that there's excellence, that when we come to church, we should look, we shouldn't look like we slept in a gym bag. We ought to look nice when we come to the Lord's house. Um, we obviously should be modest. That is a biblical principle. So we're not by any means, I don't think, saying that there's no biblical principle in dress. Right. Totally. What we're saying is, is to what level right. of a form of godliness yeah. we're taking this to. Mm -hmm. Well, and this is what's great is, is using terms like distinction. And, and the beauty of a biblical principle is that no matter what the date is on the calendar, it's going to have application. It's going gonna, it's gonna to affect. So, so really, if you think about it, we're speaking to our time. We're speaking to the time that we live in. But, you know, hypothetically, if there were a time when culturally, right, wearing, uh, wearing blue stripes identified you with some kind of cause that was, uh, that was wicked, that was opposed to the Word of God, then, then I would think we would have the wisdom to recognize, well, I'm not going to wear blue stripes. I'm not going to wear... You know, the sad thing about the, the rainbow is the rainbow in scripturally was a sign that God was not going to judge the earth again with a flood. It was a beautiful thing. It was, a, it was. a sign of his grace and his, his promise, but it certainly has changed to something different in our day. And in a sense, we've been... And now, I've never worn anything rainbow because I'm pretty much a blue, blue, brown, earth tone guy. But, I mean, what there's the sad thing is, is that when we do see someone you know, ad adorning themselves with those colors, there certainly is an identity that comes with it. Mm -hmm. You know, and I guess we do, I do have, for me, the ditch is, I got to be mindful of those things as well, not just liberty, but my liberty kept in check by not offending um, or causing my brother to sin, which that, that's what offending is. Offending, by the way, is causing your brother to sin, not causing your brother to get Cut all... Yeah, because, I don't like what you said. Right, I don't like what you wear. <laughs> so, Thank you for joining us in today's podcast. We're going to end there due to time, but we want you to come and to hear as we finish up the conversation in the following podcast. But thank you for joining us today. We'll see you next time on Backwoods Theology.